You're listening to the Who's Driving Your Car podcast, episode 73. Hello and welcome to the Who's Driving Your Car podcast, where we discuss not only who or what might be driving your life, but also the great views and experiences along the way. Do you drive in the fast lane like my wife, or do you feel like you're stuck in first gear? You only get one life to live, and it can be either a total wreck or a beautiful cruise into the sunset. We are three friends that have collectively experienced almost anything that could possibly happen in this crazy world, and we'll be discussing our personal reflections and experiences so hopefully you can avoid running out of gas and truly enjoy the wind blowing in your hair. So hop on in with us for a little road trip called life, and let's discuss who's driving your car. Aye! What's cracking like in podcast world? Welcome back to Who's Driving Your Car, episode 73. Set 10 Trace. <laughs> that's for the little rooster. I to say, that's, <laughs> the rooster came out. Yeah, since we got a, a folk here today, so we bring up the little rooster today. <laughs> oh, old Tony Piro. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured he would probably know. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, guys, we've got a pretty cool guest with us today, one of Craig's good buddies. So we're going to let Craig hop in and say a little bit here. And that is Alan Heiser, um, who's with us, a fellow from Abita Springs, but been living in Lake Charles the majority of his life. Uh, I think made a lot of impacts on a lot of people from what I understand, especially talking to Craig. He's involved in a lot of civic and charitable organizations. He's got a consulting group called Sage Consulting. And I think he's going to really share and bring a lot to us all about impacting people in life uh being the value of being a role model in someone's life some really cool stuff today correct yeah we're super excited um i was fortunate enough to meet alan not long after i moved back home and uh he was friends with one of my partners and uh was coming around our office and it was just it didn't take long to realize he was a he was a major presence in this community uh both his his charitable work and just all he's done uh, to support the local university McNeese state university and um, and just getting to talk to him and learning about his uh, careers, uh, being a coach for our youth and just doing some amazing things. I think we're going to be excited to hear about his uh, one of his major uh, charitable uh, movements, the Cops and Jocks. So that's going to be fun to talk about. And I don't want to spoil it, but we're just excited to have Alan Day. Alan, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, Alan, before we kind of hop along, why don't you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about yourself, your life? Uh, can you give a little prelude to that? Well, you know, like you said, I grew up in Abita Springs. There's 250 people in the town when everyone came home for Christmas. So coming to Lake Charles was coming to a big city. And it was, now you go over there, people in New Orleans say they're going to the North Shore of New Orleans. But it was not that way when I lived there. And I went to Covington High School because there was no high school in Abita Springs. Right. And actually, I was the first and only member of my family not to go to a Catholic high school because I wanted to play for coach Jack Salter I'd never played football not like kids today start very young I started in ninth grade and I kept asking my parents that I wanted to go to Covington High School and one day they said yes I thought I had talked them into something as I got older I realized they went in the bedroom and went yes one less tuition I had <laughs> I had a sister at Southeastern a sister at St. Scholastica the girls Catholic school in Covington, a brother at St. Paul's, and a younger brother at St. Peter's. But there was something about Jack Salter when I met him, and 
he was an incredible man and I'd never played. He got me to play and I went and it was the best thing ever happened to me. He, I graduated from Covington High School in 73 and I bet you there was, until he died it, three years ago this past December, I bet you there was never more than two weeks went by we didn't talk. Man, he was an incredible man, incredible man. And he was a, a guiding force and he actually played here at McNeese. And uh, when I was being recruited, it was before any scholarship limits or you could visit as many schools as you wanted. Uh, schools could sign as many players. My senior year, LSU signed 123 players. If wow. you were a politician's kid, cousin, nephew, you got a scholarship to LSU. Oh, wow. You would never play, but you got a scholarship. And, you know, it's Coach Salters. And, I, you know, maybe this is a little boring, but how I got to where I am today is because of him and his guidance. Yeah. I had 22 offers. And it was the middle of my senior year before LSU said anything. So I go on a visit and I, what we had to do after every visit was sit down with coach in pros and cons. So I went on my visit to LSU and came back and they were playing Florida. Steve Spurrier was a quarterback and it was exciting. I said, coach, I want to go there. Sits down on a blackboard, he'd write pros and cons. And he wrote down, well, the first thing he said, I'm sorry, he said, uh, Alan, I'm not telling you you can't play at LSU, but LSU did not start recruiting you until Mississippi State and Ole Miss did. You're a local kid. They don't want to see you go there and come back and play well. That's their history. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote down tight end, which I played on the board. He wrote down A, B, and C in these schools. And he wrote down McNeese, Louisiana Tech, Mississippi State, whatever. And he put an A there, and he went to LSU, and he put a C. And I didn't know what he was doing. He said, every college recruiting room has this. And you are, I'm not telling you can't play, but you're not an A for LSU. They don't want to play against you. They think you're going to develop into something maybe. So they'd rather sign you, and you don't. Go be someone's A. Man, I like that. And that was the best advice I ever had. And when I came here, it felt right. And I've not looked back. Man, very cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. To see how we wind up in, in good old Lake Charles and also a good prelude into someone making a big impact in your life. Oh, uh, God, yes. Very cool that. You know, it was, I still have them. Uh, when I was here, what he would do, the. At that time, the Morning Advocate had a writer that was from Covington. So if McNeese did something and I did something, it was always the Allen Heister from Covington or whatever. Anytime it was in the paper, I'd get a handwritten note and uh, a copy of that article that uh -huh. he would send uh -huh. all the time. He was there when my kids were born. You know, it's uh, it's it, he is one of the... I've been very fortunate to have three male figures. I got back, it was him, Leroy Peroni, locally, and my dad. But Coach Salter, because of the athletics, and I always played that, you know, he came to my, he would drive from Covington to see my kids play. And he had a whole bunch of his own, and he, he was, he sent 
over 260 players to college on scholarships. Wow. And that's incredible. If you yeah. stop and think, yeah. and this, this is the effect he has on kids. My senior year in McNeese, there was 61 players from Covington High School playing at different colleges. Most schools don't have 61 in their history. Right. Wow. Now that's from McNeese to Oklahoma. But what he would do, and I may be going a little long on him because he's just that important to me, no, is that if, if, if Craig was the All-American that everyone knew about, and there was a bunch of those at Covington mm -hmm. High School. Oh, Mr. McNeese back in the That's right. <laughs> and, the, and back then, recruiting now is done online. Right. You had to go see the players and talk to them back then. You, able, you still see them. If the recruiter came and asked, Coach, what about Craig? He said, everyone knows Craig can just throw a dart at a map and play anyone. Ask me about Allen. I want to talk about him. He said, not every player you sign is going to start being an all-conference player for you. He said, but if you got one scholarship left, why not give it to a good kid? Give it to a kid that's going to work hard, both on the field and the classroom, that may be develop into something but as a junior or senior, and he's going to be a good citizen. And I promise you, if I recommend someone and they don't, send them back to me, and I'll take care of them. And he got kids scholarships just because he wouldn't give up. Yeah, I love that. And so, but, I don't know, he was just incredible. Outstanding. Yeah, I think that's great. Alan. So bringing us back to it, can you maybe focus? I know I know you mentioned three real important people in your life, and I think it's cool that we can maybe talk about some of these people that are important in your life, and then toggle on about how you're a role model, probably for many people these days, and the importance of being a role model in people's life. But what about the impact of your dad? I think people's parents in life are are always um, good role models, good influences. Can can be for the opposite as well. Can you pray, uh, give us a little yeah, info? Yeah, you know on that? It, he was it, it, but I can honestly, my dad never threw a ball with mm -hmm. me my dad was a building contractor he threw a hammer at me you know <laughs> i had a hammer before i had a bottle most probably and i'm grateful that there's a lot of stuff i do myself that i don't have to i can i changed the pump on my pool this week never done it before but i could hear my daddy in my head saying figure it out you know so you figure it out and how to do it but it was he taught us how to be a young man a man a father and that you, that your wife or girlfriend is always on a pedestal, and that's how my mother was. I never once heard a swear word in my house, other than crap from my dad. Now I'm sure when he was out, maybe he did it, and it was my mother was always treated like a queen. And he and he told us as young men, he said, "There's never a reason to yell or be angry." at a girlfriend, a woman, or a lady. You're the stronger, so you be stronger. And I heard that forever. And it was just the way he taught us how to be men, which is part of growing. And now he never missed a game once I started playing. My mother didn't either. She drove me crazy because she didn't want me to play. And then when I played, she wanted to learn the game. Mm -hmm. So every time there was a game on TV, I had to sit there, and she, after every play, she'd ask a question. 
There was a tutorial in That's right. That's right. <laughs> and it wasn't like you could stop it and say it, and she would do it. And uh, it was, you know, Daddy taught me everything from being a man to taking a set of blueprints and laying out a home. And that was just something we did. I didn't know what it meant not to work. Mm-hmm. And one of the best lessons he taught me in life, and I'll never, and I've told this to someone a couple of weeks ago, at one point, and y'all will laugh at this, you know, I'm working and I'm in high school, I'm making $2 an hour, wow. working 40, 50 hours a week. So I was like 14, I wasn't driving. And I asked my dad, I said, and back then a good carpenter made five or $6 an hour. And I said, Daddy, I do the same work. You put me on a job and you do things and I can do the same thing those other guys. I said, I know they make more money than me. He said, you know what, Alan, you're right. You should make the same. I'm thinking I did something good. My mother <laughs> wrote the paychecks. So that Friday, she wrote out the check and I was making the same as the other one, but there was deductions. There was car insurance, room and board, food, <laughs> and all this other stuff. I said, wait a minute, what's this? He said, I don't pay all that for them. So I was taking a pay cut. <laughs> and I will never forget that, to just appreciate what your parents are doing. Yeah, and, early and lesson in finance. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, Alan. Uh, speaking of being a parent, um, one thing that always stands out is I remember looking at Facebook and seeing you and your daughter and her uh, playing softball and, yeah. and, and all these lessons and, and things you've learned from your coach and your father. And because I do think there's a there's a, a shortage of good men. That's something that we you know I'm seeing this day. Guys don't know how to be men, how to take care of a lady, and how to be that true anchor for their home. And you've obviously been a perfect example of that. What was it like, kind of? transition at some point get married have kids and what, what are some comments you can have about raising those kids with those values that you were taught and the little lessons you learned along the way well it's i have two older sons and i remember telling my dad the older my boys got the smarter he looked and when they were both teenagers i told him he was a genius because a lot of those things came true and then the world turned upside down when i had a daughter because it's completely different Everyone told me girls raising a girl would be different. They didn't tell me how different it would be. Can I get some insight in that? Because I got one coming in uh, August. I don't know what it is. So if it's a girl, I want a little prelude of what it is yeah. beforehand. Well, like a friend of mine told me, and Craig will probably echo this, is that that sweet, <laughs> loving Craig. child, when she, best way to say it, when she becomes a lady around early teens, for a period of time, she will turn into someone you do not recognize. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. yeah, yeah. So, but you know, and it, but I always I started coaching when my oldest son, who will be 41 this month, he wanted to play football, and I said, "Well, no, I don't." I was working and didn't have time. I didn't think I had time. I was just starting off basically with an insurance agency and this guy I went to the practice it was the first practice he put these kids they didn't even know how to have the put on the equipment it wasn't put on right he said okay let's scrimmage I said what I walked out there I grabbed my son said we're leaving he said what do you mean you're leaving I said these kids don't even have the pads on right you want them to scrimmage I looked at him how many of y'all know what scrimmage mean <laughs> they didn't and <laughs> who, are you? who are you and someone said well 
Allen played football for the Falcons. Well, I remember. So I said, he's not playing. So I decided that I had a team, and I started coaching. And the people I was working for, I told them cause my, uh, that I was going to leave the office at 2.30 every day and for practice. They said, you can't do that. I said, why not? He said, because I was basically, I was on a salary plus commission. They said, because that's why we pay you, take the salary away. And I said, it's more important for me to be with my kids. Man, and I hadn't had a salary since then. And I just said, I, I, I'll make it. That's and awesome. I coached for actually two years ago was the only the second year in 33 years that I didn't have at least one kid playing something. For 17 years, I coached three sports and loved every minute of it. Now, I had to learn. I didn't know nothing about soccer. I had to learn soccer to help coach soccer. I definitely didn't know anything about softball or volleyball and had to do that. But right now, I you mentioned a bar baseball game. I enjoy watching softball more than I do watching baseball. It's a faster game. Yeah. And it's a – but the the thing about the kids is I always – when I start the season, and I don't know where this came from, but I, I was at a golf tournament and I, with Bruce Smith, who's mm -hmm. played for Buffalo. Oh, I invited yeah. to his tournament, and a guy asked me. It was Bruce Smith got up and talked to these kids about Super Bowls and stuff, and then Jim Kelly got up, and a guy named Leslie O'Neill was there who played for the Chargers forever, and they said, Leslie, come talk. He said, Alan, you go talk to the kids. I said, they don't know who I am. They don't, then the guy putting on a tournament, well, come up here and say something. I said, well, I, I can't talk about Super Bowls. I can't even heard about this. But I looked out there, and it was a bunch of Little League baseball players. And I looked out there, and all I can say is this came from my heart. And I've repeated it many times since then. I said, I look out this room, and I look in your eyes, and I see me. I, you have the same look in your eyes I had when I was your age because I had a dream. I had a dream that I wanted to play sports, play in high school, play in college, and play professional ball. He said, that's a wonderful dream. He said, but I was very lucky. My parents also had a dream. They wanted me to go to high school and go to college and get a degree. Unfortunately for me, my rookie year in Atlanta, my dream, I was rudely awakened and my playing career ended. But because my parents had their dream, I'm mm. still living that dream today. Awesome. And I and then this is the part I've never heard anyone else, I never, maybe not said, I was about to walk off in this, because you know, kids get dared all the time. We get dared. I, I stopped and I looked at him and said, I'm going to leave you with this thought. But I'm going to ask you a question first. Have any of you ever been dared to do something? They all raised their hands. I said, good. If anyone ever dares you to do something, a red light should go off. Because no one will ever dare you to do something good. They will not dare you to clean your room, to tell your parents you love them to do your homework, do whatever. They'll dare you to try drugs, alcohol, stuff like that. So if you have a friend or someone you think is a friend and they dare you, think. 
before you do anything else. Yeah, I think that's some great advice, especially for the youth nowadays. Um, Alan, before the podcast, I have a question for you. We, we said a little prayer. We all go around. You seem to be a guy f- filled with some faith. Can you talk about maybe the impact um, that faith has had in your life, God's had in your life, and maybe continues to have? Well, you know, I went to Catholic school through eighth grade. And, you know, and I was all, I was raised Catholic and always went to church and whatever. But even though I thought I believed, on January 9th of 2000 at 9.47 a.m. Sunday morning, my mother died. Hmm. And it started to change then. And the last conversation I'd had with my mother she told me I needed a little girl. And I said, I told her I was too old because my wife and I were in the process of adopting a child. I had the ultrasound. I still have it. It's a boy, is what they said. And my wife said, you want to tell your mother about this little boy? And I said, no, because I don't want to tell anyone because we had had another child we had tried to adopt and lost. So... And I kind of got ahead of when, and when my mother died, we were at the funeral home in Covington and I didn't carry a phone. I had a pager. I had, I got a page that the girl that we were going to adopt a child from was having contractions. She was almost a month early. Like there's nothing we can do about it. There was an attorney here in Lake Charles handling, Nick Pizzolatta was handling all that for us. The next morning got a page and the girl was in the Slidell Hospital in labor. And I, my brain was mush because I just lost my mother. I hadn't told, I'm sorry, I hadn't told this story in years. But anyway, it's... Uh, so I appreciate you, buddy. I got up. And we were just talking about athletic. You're supposed to be a tough guy. You're not tough when you lose your mother. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I was brushing my teeth, and I had the most unselfish thought of my life. I thought to myself, do you have the right to tell her she can't be a mom? And I don't have that right. I go to the hospital. The doctor comes out. He says, I know y'all are expecting a baby boy. We don't make these mistakes often, but you have a healthy baby girl. I said, Doc, wow, you didn't make a mistake. Yes, someone else had something to do with that. Amen. I walked, oh God, I walked around the corner where the nursery was and I lost it. My daughter was born at 9.47 a.m. Four days to the minute my mother was pronounced it. Wow. Yeah, Incredible, man. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. My life changed. No doubt. That's a great story. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay, Alan, so after that time, uh, I know that was a pretty eye-opening experience for you. What kind of things changed in your life after that point? <clears throat> well, it was having a a new child at 45 years old that 
you know, people, sometimes we would go places and I'll have a daughter at 45 and they think it's your, your granddaughter. Mm-hmm. And as she got older, she let people know that she was bad. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it got to be a kind of a running, actually Johnny Thibodeau was one of the quarterbacks with me at McNeese. My daughter and his granddaughter graduated from Barb together, you know, just, <laughs> you know, and it, so it was, it was just learning at that age that I could be a better parent because I actually had more time and I, I figure everyone learns by their mistakes. And Absolutely, so I was, right. you know, and it was, it, she was such a special child and I really think she kept my dad alive. My dad talked to her every day and it was, she started talking at eight months old making sense she hadn't shut up since and she <laughs> and she's actually working i don't know if i told you she's working at the surgery center okay I didn't know that. yeah she started last week she's that's awesome but it you know it's it just made me realize it just came with a lot of clarity that there's someone else out there even though i knew it i'd heard it i'd preached it i'd felt it absolutely my it gosh. i think a lot of people have a moment of clarity, that was my moment. And yeah. and she's my my sons tell me that there's certain things she gets or they that they didn't get away with. I said, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you were just you should have been born third instead of uh, instead. Uh, but you know, and she's a straight A student, always been. Uh, was an all-district softball player, was it, had a lot of different scholarship offers, didn't want to, she said she just wanted to go to school, and, yeah. and that's what she's doing, and she's doing real well in school, and that's good. I have to say this, uh, we've been doing this now, Alan, for, man, I don't know, pushing a year and some change, I don't know, maybe a year and a quarter. This is the first time, just to give you an idea for the listeners, I think you had us all like, jaws dropped here in, in silence after that story. Um, yeah. Which is an oddity, especially yeah. for me, because I can talk with the best of them too. Yeah, yeah. He's an attorney. That's what yeah. <laughs> I generally do, um, and I find it very moving, and I can relate at times. I mean, in my own life, I've had instances where I've definitely believed, never missed mass, trucked along, but then something in your life will awaken you and shaken you. And I think toggling on with what John said is pretty cool that. This not only happened, but you're still it impacted you in a for a great positive way. It still does through to this day in in your kids' life and the life you lead. And I wanted to kind of toggle that into Craig's told us a lot about some of the charitable type things that you do. Can you tell us maybe how some of that came to light and how you wanted to maybe give back and influence others in those ways? Well, that was something that my really came from my dad and some of it from Coach Salter. because he was a big giver. He was a guy, I rem- if if a team came from out of town to Covington High School to play, mm-hmm. they were met at the parish line by sheriff's deputy to escort them in. And instead of you looking for a meal, to this day his grandson's the head coach. Visiting teams get fed because they're his guests. That's awesome. I don't know of another school Never that does heard of that. that. Yeah, I heard that. And, you know, and, and my dad always did stuff. So when I – was no longer playing and out of school. There was a golf tournament here. The first tournament I got him was the Optima Celebrity Golf Tournament. And I knew a bunch of people, so I was able to get a bunch of celebrities in here and I was part of that tournament for 
for 18 years as co-chairman. Did a lot of good. It went to Boys Village, a lot of the things. And then that, you know, a lot of tournaments run their course and for different reasons. And that, the same year mother died, I just said, look, I can't do it anymore. I need it. And then Don Dixon became chief mm-hmm. of police. And he and I were talking. We said, we need to do a tournament. And okay, so we started Cops and Jocks. And first year we did it, we made $10,000. By the seventh year, we was making over a hundred grand a year, and nice. it's it really feels good to give back, and that's I'm really good at doing tournaments. I like doing them. People don't realize how much work there is. At one point, I was doing I think eight tournaments in different areas, some in the state. I still wow. do two. I do cops and jocks. I do a tournament in Covington for Covington High School. It's, Matter of fact, this is a shirt. Yeah, yeah. You know, I kind of wondered what was going on. Yeah, with this shirt. and uh, while while my daughter was at Barb, I started a tournament. It was Birdies for Bucks. Right. For for Barb, not. And I told them, I said, "Here's the outline. Here's what we do. Someone else can take it over, but no one else wanted to do the work, so the tournament just went away. But it's very satisfying to be able to do that. And one thing that we've done. Through cops and jocks, we've not just given money to athletics. We've we've given money to the foundation. So this fall, Don and I will have twenty eight thousand dollars in endowed scholarships. That's half awesome. of it he can give to who he wants. Half I can give to who I want. Now, we were giving money directly to the athletic programs when we decided to start doing money to the foundations. Of course, the coaches wanted the money; they weren't happy, but. I want something to give when I'm gone. A legacy. Yeah, and it's something that there's. I've been told by some kids that, you know, the scholarship you gave me is I don't have to work full time and go to school, or I don't have to borrow money. I don't. And it's. I actually try to give it based on need. You know, as much as anything Absolutely. else. You know, there may be some people. And most of the people that I've given the scholarship to are people I know. Originally, McNeese was giving out the scholarship. I never knew who got them. Mm-hmm. I never heard from them, whatever. So I changed and I put a committee together and said, I'm going to know who gets it. And and it's that is so satisfying to do that. And it's something that 20 years, 30 years from now, that somebody, it might be y'all's kids going to McNeese or make, they get a scholarship because of and I believe everyone needs to do that there's too many takers in the world and I believe by giving you you receive I really do I I have doing some of the things I do is like I told Craig the other day life is about relationships and you know if I was I would like to think I'm a pretty good person and if he didn't think I was when he wouldn't. He wouldn't want me sitting here. Craig's he, one of the best people I know. So you got to be some good stuff yeah, to the yeah. end, brother. And you know, if there's been times that I needed something or some help. He'll, you know, he'll tell me, "Well, you can get response quicker from the nurse." But you know, but he'll. he'll <laughs> I am guilty of not responding yeah, to my text. But just let you know, holler at me. I'll make sure this gets done yeah. for you. <laughs> but but in but anyway, it's just it's. I feel like that's why I have friends that will try to do things for me or because I don't mind doing something mm-hmm. for someone else. It's, but I think that's, that's me. I can't not do it. 
and I can't be halfway involved in something. That's awesome, Alan. Uh, it's funny. Every time I talk to him, I say, hey, uh, how's your day? And his response, best day of my life. Best day of my life. <laughs> oh, I love I'm it. I'm like, man, that's so awesome. Because it's like, you know, there's days, but not just you're having a good day or a bad day. But I mean, if you, every day is the best day of your life because, hey, you're here and you're you're making memories, contributing. Even if it was a bad day, you were able to experience pain, right? Yeah. You're alive. If you weren't here, you wouldn't feel any emotion. So, I mean, I hope that we're heaven. But you know what I mean? It's just right. really, I just I find that really awesome. No, I love that because I, I like to say, if you snap your finger once, it's one second gone, one second closer to eternity. It's just a yeah. fact. Uh, it's how we live them. Can you talk to us a little bit about that saying? I've, I've never heard Craig tell me that. that well, what the mentality is behind that? Well, it was many years ago that I had a period where some of my teammates over a six-month period, some high school and college teammates had cancer or died or died. There was a lot of tragedy. Mm-hmm. And I, there was days that I would get up and say, my shoulders hurt and my back's hurting and whatever. And I said, I'm, I'm still here. Right. So this is the new best day of my life. And I don't care who I'm talking to. Uh, if you call my voicemail on my phone, it says have the best day of your life. And it's, it, people, the reaction is somewhat mixed, but always positive. It's always a smile when I say it. They'll say, well, why is it the best day of your life? I said, I'm here. Word. And, and people will say, it's a good thought. And it's, and I will continue to do it. No, I think it's a great thing. And I think that's something that we try to do here and, and things that we pointed out in prior podcasts that, you know, a lot of people were so caught up in their day-to-day lives, caught up in their own individual tragedies, tasks that they have to do that day that they get distracted from recognizing the opportunity, the blessings that they have in their life. So I think that's a great way for you to individually point that out to people and make them maybe reassess their own life Yeah, you know, in, in that moment. Yeah. Well, there's one of my teammates that's in a rehab facility in Oberlin. I didn't even know there was one. He had some complications on a surgery and whatever. They don't know if he'll ever walk again. And he's having mm-hmm. some memory loss. I drove to Oberlin to see him yesterday. And mm. in and out, you know, may not have gone several times. He's been there since January that he'll recognize me, then he don't. But for those moments, he knows who I am. It's worth the drive. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, I just think you got to do stuff like that. Yeah. I, something I want to touch on uh, again, Craig is, is one of my very close friends. And I'm, y'all, y'all have a similar dynamics here in the sense of Craig has talked a lot about giving. I still remember years ago, Craig telling me, man, something about giving something, the more I tend to give, like the Lord will bless in his ways and stuff like that. And I'm also noticing in some of the chats here, you have, and I played ball, like I said, I'm not, I'm not uh, Alan in the professionals, but I made it up through college. And the relationships that I made with people through those years, uh, my teammates, I can tell mm-hmm. just listening to you, the value of teammates in your oh, life. God, yes. Can you talk about that? And I, I think you can analogize that. We all have teammates, even if we didn't play sports. That could be fraternity. That could be a work relationships. Everybody's pulling on the same uh, rope at work. Can you talk about the importance of the impact maybe role models different teammates had on you in life? Well, yes. He mentioned his cousin, Bubba Carraway. Mm-hmm. Bubba was like a little gnat in practice. <laughs> you know, he was he's a little guy. He worked strong as a bull. Yeah. Bubba didn't know when we were going half speed. But but Bubba helped get <laughs> us ready to play. And it was I love Bubba to death, but those you remember those battles. 
there was a guy that came to McNeese the year after I did. Uh, his name was Mitch Tyson. And Mitch was the first person we honored for cops and jocks. He was dying of colon cancer. Mm-hmm. He gave the most, I don't know, heartfelt little speech when we gave him the money. You could hear the pin drop out there, just go get checked thing. When he passed away, his and he and I had kind of lost touch. He had gone back to Covington, whatever, and when I heard he got sick, we got back together. Went to see him, and what McNeese and a lot of college men did it for you, if you had people from the same school, they'll take pictures together. Mm-hmm. Well, in his, in, on a nightstand, there was a picture of he and I. And his, his wife, I said, well, you put that there for me, Mitch. I said, no, no, his wife said, that thing's been there forever. But when, when he passed away, it, his wife called, and he said, I, I need a favor. He said, uh, Mitch wants you to get in touch with, it was a couple of our, our teammates, to be pallbearers. Mm. I said, okay, I can do that. And he asked for you to do the eulogy. Mm. Whoa. Well, my wife had, you know, there was other teammates around here she had seen many, many times. She had heard the name Mitch, and it, and it bothered me. And that was... 15, 16 years ago when I realized kind of what you're saying, if you've never been in a team dynamic, whether it's medical, baseball, football, whatever, you don't understand the battles you go through for people. Mm-hmm. Mitch and I played three years in high school, four years in college together. In high school, he was an offensive tackle and a defensive. So we lined up next to each other. In college, he lined up across me. He just played defense. And it, it it bothered me for those battles. But she will never understand it unless you've been there. There was – the only thing about – if there were some other teammates, I'd have had a lot of stories to tell. Mitch was – I hate to say it, there's about the color of that thing, the best guy that I didn't – but he had the whitest teeth on earth. And everybody loved Mitch. Everybody, you know, the – I'll never forget the first pass I caught in college after redshirt, and we're playing Louisiana Tech. I caught a pass. I turned and slipped and fell about a yard short of first down. Jack Dolan screaming, you blah, blah, blah. Mitch grabs me by the shoulder pads. All in his face was so dark you couldn't hardly see him in the helmet. All I saw was white teeth. He had me by the shoulder pads. He said, are you okay? I said, yeah. I said, you sure you okay? He said, I didn't even see that guy hit you. He was like a ghost. He came out of nowhere. Well, then I was okay, but I'll never forget that. And it's, but that's the team dynamic. Uh, fortunately, I had a good career at McNeese, and there was one of my teammates a couple years ago went in the McNeese Hall of Fame, and his wife posted something on social media. And uh, I said, well, congratulations, Bill. I said, for four years, we went one-on-one, man-to-man. You were tr- you were trying to rip my head off. I was trying to rip your head off. But when we left practice, we were friends. His wife commented, I understand everything you said. What about that rip your head off stuff? That that, that sounds horrible. I said, <laughs> ask Bill. Bill called me a few minutes later laughed and said, you'll never understand. Mm-hmm. You cause, And that's it. And those are bonds that nice. are there for life. Yeah. And they will never go away. And it's – I wish everyone – could be in there like you you play bass same thing the locker room Man, it's the hours you spend together with yeah. somebody that and, and that's why i 
part of the reason I coached mm-hmm. to be with my kids. I didn't want anyone else to do it. I could spend time. When uh, Coach Salter, one of the biggest honors, I've had some pretty good honors and, and achievements in sports, but in my mind, one of the biggest was uh, it was because Lexi was about till 19 years ago. They renamed, they had to get special legislation passed to rename Covington High School Stadium Jack Salter Stadium. Oh, wow. And they had the governor there, and, and his wife called, and they said, he had coached, head coach there 36 years, and the family asked me to come speak on behalf of all the players. Well, one thing that I said to them and everyone there that I thought, that I thanked them for him, because when I was playing and every player ever played with, he spent more time with us than he did with his own family. And he made sacrifices they made sacrifices for us, and every coach does that. Not just him, you oh, know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he, especially in college coaches, mm-hmm. they during the season, some of them sleep at the facilities. So those that is why I believe that having that relationships and bonds with coaches and teammates and so important because those coaches paid a price for that. So I don't take it lightly. Um, another thing that I'm noticing here, uh, Alan, and I, I'm going to call it going the extra mile, uh, all the way back to when we first, I don't know if we were talking before the podcast or when we recorded, you talked about you were visiting with your, your coach who you've mentioned many times every couple of weeks, you've gone and seen multiple players, teammates, uh, that you visited. Can you speak to us about the importance and, and we all tend to do that. Our buddy John over here does it a lot for people too. Um, going the extra mile to spend time with people. I think nowadays it's really easy to maybe just. I don't know, shoot someone a text or a few words, I don't know, on social media or something like that. But you've seen just a little bit that I'm gathering here. You have invested a lot of your time the Lord gives you to spend and continue to develop those relationships with people. Can you speak on that a little bit? Well, I can talk a lot better than I can type. That's the first thing. (laughs) But it's. I think people hide behind a screen Mm -hmm. or a phone, whatever, and you, you can hide emotions and feelings you you don't get that in a text if you care about someone and you tell them that face to face it means a lot more than in a text and i have for whatever reason and i've sent out a message i got a couple of group texts there i'm the pied piper of mcneese football and the guys i did they said well you're the only one that and i've had people tell me that if i didn't do things to get us together we wouldn't do it and it kind of evolved over the years that we're gonna, that one of our teammates, Bill McMullen, has a camp down in Big Lake. We're supposed to get together in May, but it still wasn't fixed in August. He he calls me and asks me to contact everyone to come to his place. <laughs> because I don't know how I, I got it, but I do it. But sometimes it's irritating that someone else doesn't do it, but I do it for selfish reasons, because I wanna see those people. Those people mean something to me, and hopefully I mean something to them. And it's it's like uh, where I hadn't said the other figure, Leroy Peroni. Yeah. Leroy. Yeah, he has Peroni's Deli. And, you know, he, when I met him, I met him on August 17, 1975, about 4.30 in the afternoon. He had Peroni's Flores. I'd gotten married. I was married a week. And I don't. I didn't know they had did the flowers for the wedding. 
and I walked in there and I was going to buy one rose because I'd been married a week because I'd been married a week and that's all I could afford. <laughs> and, uh, so he looked up and he says, I know you. I said, you do? He said, your name's Alan Heiser. You play football at McNeese. Honey, give him that rose. That started to the point that he is my son's godfather. Wow. His wife who passed away a year and a half ago was my daughter's godmother. I am to his his grandkids. I'm Uncle Alan the Great. They laugh and great grandkid, <laughs> and it's and I guess to show you the the ultimate closeness of it. When she died, the best we could figure is she had written her obituary five years before she died because she was developing dementia and she had a great grandson that wasn't in there, but she had me listed as a son by love not by blood wow in her that obituary. is awesome wow and the same lady a side note is when my son was born he like i said he'll be 41 may 31st leroy's his godfather and annette says you need to come to nanny and leroy's always been a joker he said no honey he has a nanny you can be his fat nanny <laughs> she was fat nanny to all three of my kids <laughs> and till the day she died i mean if it was a birthday card a graduation card or whatever it was she wasn't fat but she was fat nanny <laughs> and it was it would people would i would say that your kids don't call her fat nanny and they'd go say fat yeah baby what you need that's, that's what she was fat nanny oh that's it, cute. you know but it I feel very, very fortunate to have had them in my life, just mm -hmm. like Coach Salter and his family. And I've actually spent more time with the Peronis than I did with my own family because I was here. Mm -hmm. Because of travel time and different things, just about every holiday for the last 30 years, I've been at their house. And then I would go home and then have my parents, because you know I have sisters and brothers, but I would be at their house and then I'd go meet with them somewhere. And it was, but when she died, it was like burying a mother. And mm -hmm. he's going to be like burying another dad. But it's, it, he is such an incredible guy. Now, he's a hothead. He's Sicilian. He's the only <laughs> full-blooded Sicilian. I know named Leroy, but that's a <laughs> but, uh, but great guy. Don't know what I'd do without him. Man, that's awesome. Wow. Yeah, thanks, Alan. Uh, you know, you were talking earlier about my cousin Bubba Caraway, and uh, I stepped out earlier and I gave him a quick phone call, and he said, well, why don't you uh, ask him about uh, how much he liked to run in that little delay route running across the middle whenever I was playing linebacker. Yeah. <laughs> what, what he that, yeah, that was a play in games I loved, <laughs> but in practice I hated because they knew it as well as we did. And it was even worse when we would do it in seven-on-seven. Seven. There's no lineman. Oh, there's yeah. nobody to fake. So that play, I had to fake a block, and then I'd go across the middle. Well, there's no lineman, so you get up, you fake a block, and Bubba starts licking his lips or the other <laughs> linebacker because I'm faking a block. They know what I'm going. And one of the uh, – I think it was the receiver coach – told Jack Dolan, said, you're going to get our players killed. We can't run that play in this outside drill because they, you know, why? And no, yeah, Bubba loved that play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. I figured if you did, if, if 
I, you know, I, I almost told you to ask him because he always says something about that. That was, <laughs> Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Okay, Alan, it's been a great ride, man. We have uh, appreciated the, the openness, sharing some of your stories, being moved to emotion in here, uh, all the great experiences of, of being a human being. It's, it's been a journey, so we appreciate it. And we ask all of our guests, who or what do they think is driving their car, the proverbial car of life, so to speak? That could be God, free will, the pandemic, the storms we've had. There's no right or wrong answer. What comes to mind when we ask? Life. Life and family drives my car. That's what I live for today. I've reached a point in my life that financial things aren't important mm-hmm. yet okay. My family. I just want to make them proud. That's what drives me. Man, that's awesome. A great answer. That's and we appreciate you coming on, buddy. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Alan. All right. Been a good time. All right. And slap Bubba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, Alan, I greatly appreciate it. And just to have this, I mean, we've always known each other and spent time together, but I feel like, you know, just this this podcast, I've gotten to know some, you so much deeper, and I, I'm, I'm blessed to call you my friend. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just true blessing to have you in my life, and thank you for joining us. I know our listeners are just, uh, uh, I wish y'all could be here. It was awesome. Yeah. You know, I want to say one more thing, Alan, actually, before we shut this down. We conceptualize. You've got to get the last word. <laughs> no, no. We conceptualized this podcast, or I really drugged them on to doing this. And this was back in the days before we had equipment, did anything. And you know what? We were like, we need to get some guests on the podcast. You were the first name that was ever mentioned. It only took Craig about that's, a year to get you here. That's true. But you were the first guy. Craig was like, we've got to have him on. Of all, when we, before we even had a podcast. So I just, I that's wanted true. to go without saying that. Yeah, I mean, it happened. <laughs> Just you know, we, thought you were imaginary we for did. a period of time. Yeah. It's just like replying to my text messages. It happens at some point in the future, but you're always on my heart and mind. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I, I enjoyed it. It was a pleasure. You know, like if you had asked me to type you a letter, I'd been trouble. But I can talk. You know, and if you ever want me to come back and talk again, I'll come back again. Absolutely. I just had a quick thought. This is just a random one. You know, we talked about his tournament. I don't know if people know he brings a lot of celebrities into town. Over the years of doing it, do you have any funny one-off stories of some of these guys visiting Lake Charles that you, you just rings a bell that, I don't know, something that our listeners might find? Oh, kind yeah. Of- but before I see you see this, I'm not going to ask. You remember I said the guy that was Rudy? That's him oh, yeah, calling yeah. me right there. <laughs> well, no. I guess the first time uh, Lawrence Taylor came, to, when he was, I, we were picking him up, and I, he came with uh, a guy named Brad Van Pelt and Brian Kelly. They were both linebackers with him, and that was the first time I met LT. And he, we, at that time, I, I had a motorhome. We picked him up, them at the airport in Houston, and we go to get in the motor. He left his bag on the side, got in the motorhome. And the guy looked, looked at me and said, what about his bag? But I ain't picking up his back. <laughs> and, 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 he, and, uh, and he had walked by, and, he, and the guy said, well, you going to leave? I said, if he thinks I'm picking it up, I'm leaving. <laughs> so he walked up to I like him. And he and I became very good friends. And I know that there's a lot of stuff in the press about him. He's really, really a good guy. And I'll share a quick story with him. That year, he was named the defensive player of the year in the league, and he was he's still one of the biggest names in football. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was doing the Optimus tournament. And it was, we were at what used to be the Hilton, and he's in the lobby. And uh, 
people were calling his room. He didn't have cell phones. I said, do you want to get out of here? He said, where are you going? I'm going home for a little. So he came. And Josh was about five or six years old, and he uh, he's playing with Josh, and he sent him some pictures and did this and did that. And uh, so two years later, he tested positive and was suspended. And totally unprovoked to me, and my son has that letter framed, he wrote him a handwritten note telling him, apologizing, hope he didn't disappoint him, wow. Wow. and that he was going to get better. Amazing. And that, I guess the, the another one was when the tournament with, that was another tournament I was doing that I had my kids with, with Michael Jordan, when the year he didn't play basketball. No kidding. Oh, wow. And I brought my boys, and that was the year that Ricky Jackson had gone to San Francisco, and San Francisco won the Super Bowl. He played for them for one year. Right. And, and my kids knew Ricky forever. Ricky comes here all the time. So they wanted a hat to sign, so I got them 49er Super Bowl hat. So Josh handed Ricky the hat, he signed it, he handed it to Michael, Michael signed, handed it back. Travis, who's my middle child now, handed Ricky, and, and Michael has a guy named George that goes everywhere with him. He used to have curly hair. If you look at that, the last dance yeah, thing, yeah. George is always oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. Michael doesn't carry a phone, wallet, George does everything. Mm-hmm. And that's a long, but I won't tell you how that got, but that's a, that's a good story, <laughs> but we don't have time for that. But so anyway, so, now in the hotel room, my kids are getting at each other because one of them has Michael Jordan's autograph and the other one doesn't. So oh, man. the next morning we're on the driving range and hitting balls and they're gonna do a little long drive thing there, celebrity thing. And so I'm hitting and Michael's hitting next to me and he still calls me old man. You know, I don't, he's old, he's old now too, <laughs> but he says, hey old man, that's your son there. You know? I said, yeah. He said. He looked at Travis, who was about six or seven. He said, that man wouldn't let me sign your hat last night. He said, no, sir. And he said, sit on that ice chest right there. After I hit a few more balls, I'll sign your hat. So Travis went and sat on that ice chest. And Michael walked over, and he sat him on his knee. He said, now let me sign that hat. So he signed the hat, and Travis had a baseball in his hand. He said, you want me to sign that baseball? He said, no, sir, I want Jeff Bagwell to sign my baseball. <laughs> I love so, so you know, because Travis did not associate Michael Jordan with baseball. Uh, Jeff Bagwell spun around like the Exorcist. Said, "Wait a minute, he just turned down Michael Jordan for me." So Michael signed it, and Jeff signed. It. So he oh, most wow. probably got one of the few things that signed by yeah, two people like that. That's pretty cool. That is amazing. Actually. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that was fun. I was just uh, no, that was a great question, yeah. man. That was good. Uh, I feel like we could talk for hours. We probably do need to bring you back on for some story time, Alan. I feel like yeah, don't know. There's a bunch of story. stories, you know. There's a there's a bunch of those like that. that uh, just, okay, I'll tell you one more. <laughs> since, since I I was talking about Michael, when Joshua said his birthday May thirty first, uh, Eric Martin used to play for the Saints, and Michael at the time were married to cousins, and that's how I really met him. So he would come to town and wanted to play golf. They always wanted to play golf, and they would play either go Lake Charles, Lafayette, Baton Rouge, New Orleans, or come back, just play different courses. So they called and said, we're going to start playing if you want to come play. And I said, well, it's my son's birthday, and I'm going to take him to get his license. Well, 
you didn't carry phones, you had home phones. And at that time, he had never called my house before. So Michael calls the house wanting to know where I was. Was I scared to come play? <laughs> and my son Josh answers the phone. And he's talking to Josh. And he says, I need to talk with, with Alan and your dad. He said, he's not here. So kind of tell him, tell him it's, it's MJ. MJ who? said, how many MJs do you think he knows? I don't know, sir. He said, Michael Jordan. He said, oh, right. He said, yes, yes, yes. Michael Jordan. Today's my birthday. So Michael Jordan's going to call and tell me happy birthday. He said, oh, yeah, that's going to be great. I can tell all my friends that. Michael spent about 10 minutes on the phone trying to convince him he was him. <laughs> And he told, he said, well, what if, what if a signed jersey shows up at your house? He said, I'll be waiting at the front door. I can't wait to tell my friend. Two days later, a jersey showed up. Well, no kidding. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. So oh, good. That's funny. Wow. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it, Alan. Okay. It was fun, man. Uh, and I would challenge the listeners to maybe take a look at the people in your life who have, who have made a positive impact or the impact that you could be making on other people's lives. And until next time, we'll catch you all later. Hey, y'all. If you've been enjoying picking up what we've been laying down, subscribe and never miss an episode. Find us on social media and let us know who's driving your car this week. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Who's Driving Your Car Podcast. Perfect timing, sun is shining, nothing more I need. Yeah. If you feel like this your best life, won't you sing with me? Come on.